Welcome to the Books and Culture podcast with Books and Culture's editor, John Wilson, and I'm Stan Guthrie. John, this week we'll be looking at the September-October issue in advance that is loaded with beautiful illustrations on the cover, also whimsical illustrations. The cover is an homage to a children's book that Wendy and I read with our kids, and I suspect that some of our listeners have read with their kids. Some of our listeners are probably young enough to have been those kids, (laughs) now that I think of it, (laughs) because the book Busy Day, Busy People was published in the early 70s, I believe, and the author was an emigre from Hungary. I may mispronounce his last name, and if I do, I hope someone who hears this will correct me, but his name was Tibor Gergeli. He wrote some wonderful children's books that were some of my favorites when I was very small that appeared as golden books. And then he did this one a bit later. And the book is a kind of upbeat picture of the multiplicity of ways that people are occupied. And there are a lot of these kind of cutaway drawings that show a scene, and you see a lot of different people engaged in various enterprises. There's a mall, because that was the heyday of malls. This cover, which is just glorious, by John Arzma, who used to work here at, at our building, is an homage to that, and so you see the little busy day, busy people there. It's also a pointer to a theme that runs through many of the pieces in this issue, which have to do in one way or another with what you might call our common life and how we think about it. The original book was a very obviously idealized (laughs) portrait of that that had some good qualities. And then you could say, well, there's some things missing because there was a lot going on in our common life, uh, tensions and inequities and so on that weren't reflected in this picture. On the other hand, some of what it pointed to was true and good. And in this issue, not all the pieces, but many pieces in a number of different ways come at this question of how can we think about our common life? How should we think about it? And so, for instance, there's a piece that reviews a book called Catholicism and Democracy. It's written by someone who's writing primarily about the history of French Catholicism in the period after the French Revolution and coming forward. So French Catholicism faced with secular modernity, how does a believer accommodate to that particular tension? And Robert Joster, the reviewer, makes the point that the lessons in the book are very applicable to Christians who are not French and not Catholic. <laughs> Another piece is Miroslav Volf reviewing a book by Daniel Philpot that has to do with reconciliation and justice after something has happened in a nation state where there's been a very high degree of injustice and oppression, more than you might say the usual <laughs> business of the state. Right. Well, there's a ton of interesting titles. One it says, Exploring Adoption, and it's by Jonathan Merritt, and the 
tagline is, has the evangelical adoption movement harmed children and their families more than it has helped? I can't help but ask, what is that about? Catherine Joyce wrote this book that was highly critical of the strong desire of many evangelicals to adopt especially children from countries outside the United States. And in her book, she raised some legitimate concerns of cases in which things haven't been done as they should be. But she also painted with much too broad a brush and was clearly operating from a hostile perspective to start with. And so Jonathan Merritt responds to her criticisms, acknowledges them when they are justified, but also points out the total picture that her book gives is quite distorted. Okay, what about this one? Ghosts of Princeton Past. That's one of two pieces that fit together very nicely that have to do with Princeton's rich theological tradition, Mm -hmm. how that's carried into the present, how it's reflected in the architecture. Mm -hmm. That would be some of the ghosts of Princeton past. The tensions between being a university that is now a secular university, and yet there's still Princeton Seminary there, and there's this long tradition of the Princeton theology. You could read this piece. You don't have to. Some people will just read that pair of pieces. One of the books covered is a history of Princeton Theological Seminary. That's one of the books covered by Paul Kemeny. Matt Milliner, in his piece, he focuses on the interplay between the architectural riches of the school and its theological legacy and how that fits in a secular university. So you can see how someone could read that along with Rob Jaster's piece about Catholicism and democracy and put the two in conversation. On the other hand, someone might read one and not the other and vice versa. So, May I ask you about one more piece here? Please do. Uh, Not real simple. Rachel Marie Stone. It's about the thrill of the chaste, C-H-A-S-T-E. Well, that one is about Amish romance novels. Yeah, there are a few of those out. Yeah. Our youngest daughter, Katie, who is, I've told you before that I'm, very thankful that all four of our kids are big readers. They all read a lot. and what I they where they got that. <laughs> ah, well, you know what? You can't... Just because you're a reader, obviously it means a lot to you if you're yeah. someone whose life is very intertwined with reading. And yet you can't put an expectation on your children that they're going to be the same because some people are just not readers, you know? And I dislike it when people make it seem that the life of people who aren't big readers is deeply impoverished or something like that. You know, that just bothers me. But on the other hand, I'm tremendously thankful that all of our kids are big readers. And their reading overlaps at some points and not at others. Now, our daughter Mary, who she and our son-in-law John, as you know, have four children. The main problem she has, she has so little time to (laughs) to read. I can relate. (laughs) And I don't think any of the other kids read Amish novels, but Mm. Katie reads those, but she also reads crime fiction. She reads Harry Potter, which the other kids, except I don't think our son Andrew has, but the other two daughters read a lot of. In any case, this very interesting book looks at the appeal of these novels and particularly their wide popularity among evangelical readers. And Rachel Marie Stone, who reviews the book, she's not just 
looking at the phenomenon from the outside with a kind of cool detachment. She's read some of those books along with lots of other things herself, so it's a very good pairing of reviewer and subject. Well, I lied. I want to ask you one more question. All right. What is the most unexpected piece in this magazine? In one sense, for books and culture, they expect to be surprised. The piece that probably comes closest to that, that they will say, this is part of the reason I love the magazine. I never would have thought that I was going to be reading about cell phones in contemporary India and how they've affected the society and how they haven't changed anything. Uh And Nate Barksdale did a terrific job on that piece. And there are lots of other things, as always, that we haven't even talked about. I mean, a wonderful piece by Hans Borsma on the Christocentric legacy of Benedict XVI and, and a wonderful piece on a biography of Mary, the mother of Jesus, by Maximus the Confessor, an early Orthodox theologian, and on and on. It's, as always, I think, an embarrassment of riches. 